Well, today we are finishing up and wrapping up our vision series on the embodied church. And today what we're going to look at is what does it look like to actually pursue restoration? Here's our vision. John, if you put this up for us, this is our vision, to pursue the restoration of people, communities, and cultures in the greater St. Louis area and the world through the transforming power of the gospel. And so what we want to ask ourselves this morning is, what does that actually look like to pursue restoration in St. Louis, in the greater St. Louis area, and the world? How do we do that as a church? So let me pray for us, and then we'll get started. Lord, we give you thanks for this morning and for the opportunity to lift up prayers and to sing songs and to be together as the body of Christ. And so, Lord, as we come to your word now, I pray that you would instruct us. Give us ears to hear, give us eyes to see, so that we might not only be transformed, but that we will be light to a world that is craving for what the gospel delivers and offers this world. So use us to that end and speak to us through your Holy Spirit, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. In 2015, a renovation of the famous St. Patrick's Cathedral, Cathedral in New York City took place. And here you see this beautiful picture, and maybe some of you have actually visited it because it's become a tourist attraction to be able to go in there and look at the beauty and wonder of this cathedral in New York City. But this St. Patrick's Cathedral, and if you look at the next slide, was renovated and restored in 2015, and the last time it had even been touched was in 1949. But this St. Patrick's Cathedral, oh, it's a tongue twister, St. Patrick's Cathedral was built in 1878, and when they constructed it, it took them 20 years to build it up. So when this restoration took place recently, it took them almost half that time, nine years to bring it to its restorative state and its beauty. In New York Magazine, when they talked and reflected about this restoration project, they spoke of how it took over 150 workers to restore it to its beauty. This is what they actually wrote in this magazine. They said, specialists climbed up the scaffolding to heal its cracks in its stained, in its stained glass, fixed shattered bits of ornamental stone on gothic windows with invisible puzzle pieces of steel. They scoured soot off blackened marble, rebuilt eroded designs, replaced crumbling stones, replastered ribbed vaults, and gave new life to wooden screens. But the most impressive tasks aren't even visible replacing the entire cooling and heating system and hooking them up to geothermal wells that have been sunk up to 2,200 feet below Manhattan's asphalt. Before the restoration, sunlight struggled through darkened windows and got sucked into the gray-green vaults. But now, the stained glass glows and the ceiling restored to its original patterns spreads light on the sanctuary floor below. When we think about restoration projects, especially, especially architecturally or with buildings, we can understand and, and 
and appreciate the artistry, the expertise, the craftsmanship that are done to bring beautiful pieces back and to restore it. But as we think about Restoration Community Church, it is through Jesus' death and resurrection that he has begun and started the greatest restoration of all time here on earth. Not only the redemption and restoration of us as people, but also of communities and of cultures and actually of the entire cosmos of this world. And it is in and through Jesus' work, his life and death and resurrection and his ascension that we actually are in being able to witness God's restoration in this world and in our lives. John Perkins, who's a prolific author and has also been very much involved in in racial reconciliation and justice, he wrote this book called With Justice for All, and he says this about the gospel and how Jesus becomes flesh. Jesus didn't commute to earth one day a week and shoot back up to heaven. He left his throne and became one of us. You see, the incarnation of Jesus coming and becoming flesh, taking on human body, means God became a particular person, as we looked at the first week, in a particular place, at a particular time in history, and offered us the good news of Jesus that wasn't just a set of propositions, was, but was actually bringing in the kingdom of God here on earth as it is in heaven. And so what does that restoration look like for us? As we've looked at this passage, I think there's four things that we want to evaluate. Now I know last week Zach did, I think, two points this week I'm doing four. We're just, you know, kind of keeping you guys on your toes. But don't worry, we're not going that long. But four things to be able to understand what does restoration look like here at our church. First thing that we see here is this aspect of shining. Look at verses 14 and 15. Do all things without grumbling or questioning that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Now, talk about shining as a church. And over the last 18 months during COVID, how desperately important this aspect is to the church right now. I've heard countless stories amongst pastors and even friends in churches where churches have split. Some church plants have closed down. And the reason is because of all of the pressures and the issues that have been going on for the last 18 months. Everything from the pandemic and vaccines and masks to all the racial relations and the unrest in our country to the politics that have taken place over the last two years. All of these things have basically eroded our witness and our ability to shine to a world that is desperately looking for hope. And then what has happened is that the church has actually become just like the dark world that Paul writes here. And it's not just issues of the pandemic and race and politics. But you've seen, if some of you might have been listening to the podcast by Mike Cosper on the rise and fall of Mars Hill. And if you haven't, I, I encourage you to do so. But we have 
We have been reminded of all of the abusive leadership and the hiding of sexual allegations that have taken on, have been brought to, the, brought to our attention over these last couple of years especially. But here what Paul is reminding us of is that the church is called to shine. Not just as individuals. I know we like to read this as individuals. But what Paul does is he reminds us that we are children of God. And we are called to be who you are. That just by shining doesn't make you a child of God. But because you are a child of God, shine your light to a world that is desperately longing for hope for love, for forgiveness, for mercy and grace and contentment and joy, reconciliation. These things that are rooted in the gospel that we looked at in the first week. How do we offer this to the world? And Paul calls us to, do, to shine. And how does, he, how does he call us to shine? We see that in the first verse of 14. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. It seems so mundane that this is how we are called to shine. But it is in these mundane ways that we are able to bear the gospel in the lives of others. It is this very thing. The mundane aspects of our lives in your workplace. Think about how we talk and complain and grumble. Think about how we talk about children for those who are parents. Many times we speak negatively about raising children. Think about how you talk about your neighbors or maybe even your spouse or your friendships at school or the friendships you have. You see, Paul starts from the basic mundane things of how we are called to shine the light of Christ to a world that is desperately longing for it. And it is in these ways that God calls us to shine. This is who you are. You are children of God, he says. You are blameless, innocent, without blemish or fault. Live like you have been called. And in so doing, we will begin to slowly make an impact to a world that is watching and looking. Shine. But secondly, we see that it's not only by shining, but Paul, as we ask this question, how are we to shine? He follows this up with this next clause in Paul's letter in verse 16. What does he say? How are we to shine? Holding fast to the word of life. We are to shine by how holding, holding fast to the word of life. What Paul is getting at here is that if we want to shine like stars or lights, we must not only believe in God's word, but we actually need to follow it. That's what he means by holding. We need to believe, but also follow God's word to actually live it out. And it can be overwhelming and difficult to live in a culture that is so opposed to the way of God. So much pressure. And so if we want to be blameless, pure, without fault, we need to hold on and cling to what gives us life. And that is the Word of God. One commentator scholar said it this way. He said, since the Word of life is the source of life for the church, 
The existence of the church depends upon a firm grasp of the word of life. If the word of life is lost, the church will be, will be like a black hole rather than a shining star in the world. That's why it's such a good reminder and review of what we've been doing over this series. To just shine like the stars without, without holding on to the word of life will make us pretty much just superficial. We will get tired quickly. We will move on to the next thing. But when we are rooted in the word of God that is robust in this understanding of what restoration looks like, then we will be able to hold fast and pursue restoration in people, communities, and cultures because we have the foundation of the word of life, God himself. That Jesus would embody not only flesh, but he embodied love, joy, life, resurrection, redemption, hope, flourishing, compassion, forgiveness, sacrifice, mercy, grace, and all of these things that he not only offers us, but offers all those that are desperately looking for it. But it begins with the good news of Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension. Are we rooting ourselves in the Word of God? Do you understand the gospel? Not just know it, but believe it in your heart and actually follow it. That's why we worship was so impactful and part of our vision. That the, the means of God's grace is here on Sunday mornings as we not only are instructed by God's word through sermons, but through confession of faith, through confession of sin, through the call, of, call to worship. We are hearing God's word to us. And then at the sacrament through baptism and, and the Lord's Supper, these are these two means of God's grace for us and ways for us to cling so that we might be able to shine. Jenny Lynn just shared with us about Bible studies opportunities that are starting this Wednesday. What does it look like for us to not only hear it and be instructed on Sunday mornings, but to actually study it together, to be in community together, and to be able to wrestle with God's Word, with our doubts, with our questions. But it's clinging, holding on to the Word of life that enables us to effectively powerfully by the Spirit of God, bring about light in a dark world. This actually informs much of the story of restoration. When we first planted Restoration Community Church, our mother church sent us off, and that was KPC, Korean Presbyterian Church in Kirkwood, some 12 years ago. And when we planted, our hope was actually to just be a parish model for the neighborhood. And so we encouraged through sermons and through, through shepherding and life on life that people would move into the Olivet Creve Court area. And there were a number of families that did, a number of families and individuals that moved into that area. But as God would do, He keeps us on our toes and surprises us. We saw so many people come from all over the greater St. Louis area. And that's why it's part of our vision. People from South City to North County to Chesterfield and Baldwin and eventually to St. Charles when we moved into this building, not knowing that the page extension would become this gateway for so many people to visit our church. And what we began to realize is not to just 
do what we planned and hoped for. But as we saw what God was doing, we, we realized that what Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights will become is that we want this church to be a place where you are fed and nourished, where you would hold on and cling to the word of life. But that you as individuals, as you are equipped and trained and fed and nourished, you would go back into your communities, your neighborhoods, your workplaces, and your, your friends, and your, even your families, to be able to shine the light of Christ. And that has been from 2018 till now, the vision of what we've been trying to do, to equip so that you might hold on to the word of God and to then shine the light into the places that God has called you to from Monday through Saturday. But it begins here by holding on to the word of life. So as we think about to pursue restoration means to shine, to hold. But third, we see this beautiful picture of running. Running. Look at verse 6, the second half of 16. Paul writes, So that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. See, here Paul talks about two things that he was so passionate about. The day of Christ. When Jesus would finally come back or when he would finally see Jesus. Earlier on in chapter 1, do you know what he says to the, to the church? He says, for me to live is to, for me to die is gain. But to live is Christ. He longed to see Jesus. But the other thing that he always talked about was running, laboring for the gospel. And what Paul is saying here, he's saying, as you guys, the church, shines a light of Christ, do that so that I might not run in vain. And just think about running. This week, I, I finally picked up running again. And I ran like a gazelle. Like, it was amazing. Three miles without feeling any pain and hating myself. I felt so great. But it was because I hadn't run in like two, three months. But imagine if I ran every single day for the rest of this week. I would be in so much pain. I would probably walk. Why? Because this life is a journey. We are not called to sprint. It is this long, slow journey where we run and labor slowly, patiently, steadfastly. And here what Paul wants us to do is to be reminded that as we pursue the restoration of people, places, and communities, and cultures, it is this long marathon. Be patient. I know so many of us want that quick fix. We want to see results right away. Whether it's you've been felt convicted to really pursue and love your neighbor, but nothing has happened. Be patient. It is this long, steadfast, patient run. But the other thing is to know your limitations, right? As a runner, you know you take it slow in the beginning and you build up the endurance. We're human. And as we think about the embodied church as human beings, we have limitations. And so when we think about pursuits and restoration, 
We need to be able to remind ourselves that we are human beings. We bleed. We die. And as we long to see people and communities and cultures restored and brought to the good news of Jesus, it is a slow pace of running this marathon that Paul reminds us of here. So don't be hard on yourself. I've got this great group of guys that I get together every single week who none of them are believers. We've developed such a good friendship. And there is a part of me that is so that there's frustration because none of them even have a desire to come to know Jesus. But that's not my doing. We're called to this faithfulness of running so that we might not labor or run in vain, as Paul says. Be patient. Endure. Be steadfast in your faithfulness. But know that you could continue to hold out hope in Christ. The last thing we see here is this aspect of pouring. Look at verses 17 and 18. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the on the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. What Paul is talking about here is as he serves and pursues restoration and planting churches and bringing the gospel to bear, he's saying that my life is like a drink that is being poured out. It is this metaphor of sacrifice, of hardship, of suffering. One that is costly. And as we think about pursuing restoration in the greater St. Louis area, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in the world, there is this aspect that it is costly. It is hard. And it means that we die to ourselves. And here in our, in our Western world, especially in St. Louis, we love the comforts of our lives, don't we? We want every comfort but to pursue restoration means that there is a cost to die to ourselves, to our own comforts, and to be poured out like a drink offering. And yet what Paul says is that there is joy. Why? Because we do this together. It is not you alone. Please remember that, that the pursuing of restoration as we do that is not you by yourself, but it is together as a community, as the body of Christ, we share in the sufferings of pursuing restoration. That's what Paul gets at. He's like, I'm being poured out as I see you do that as well, church. Philippian church, there is joy. I rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should be glad and rejoice with me because we know that this is what we have been called to. What does that look like for us? What areas might God be calling you to give up in your comforts that might be costly so that you might be able to come alongside a neighbor or work, per or work person to be able to love them or a family member to be able to see them restored with love, joy, contentment, 
to see them experience healing and restoration in their lives. What does that mean for you? I know it's hard and difficult, but here's where the hope is. Jesus not only embodied all of these things, he lived it out to the end. Think about shining. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And he shines and continues to shine and bring light into this dark world, into the crevices of this St. Louis area. Jesus just doesn't hold the word of life. What do we see in Scripture? He says, I am the bread of life. And not only does he, is he the bread of life, he in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus not only holds, he is the word of life. And when you talk about running patiently and steadfastly, Jesus crossed the cosmos to be able to become human and live and dwell among us. He walked this earth and with the joy that was set before him, he looked to Jerusalem and died the death that he did not deserve. And when we think about pouring, right? He poured out his blood so that we might be forgiven. He became the scapegoat so that we no longer need to live in shame when we fail and struggle to pursue the restoration of people in our lives. So when it comes to our calling as a church to pursue restoration, remember that it doesn't depend on us. It doesn't even begin with us or end with us. Jesus has been pursuing restoration from the moment sin entered into this world. God has been and will continue to do it. Jesus said the kingdom of, his, kingdom of God is at hand when he came into this earth and began his ministry, right? And what did he do? He healed the sick. He touched the socially outcast. He raised the dead and gave them life. But ultimately, he said, your sins are forgiven. You see, Jesus is the one who is pursuing restoration. And we have the opportunity to be invited into the work that he is doing. You've heard me say that the church many times says these words, we are building God's kingdom. No way. We do not build God's kingdom. I heard that growing up my entire life. We are not building God's kingdom. The church is a visible sign of God's kingdom. And we have the privilege of being able to participate in the awesome work that Jesus is doing on our behalf. And that's what we want to continue to do here at Restoration. We as a church are committed to that. And you've heard, if you haven't already, but we are committed to different things that we as a church are behind. Things like loaves and fishes. RUF, a college campus ministry here at WashU, but we just sent three people out to Boston who are now who are interns working on college campus ministries at Boston, at MIT, and at Harvard. We're committed to Japan and the work that's being done there, and church planting as well in Japan. When you think about our mercy ministry that the deacons oversee. We're not just committed to spiritual restoration. 
But our mercy ministry that you generously and sacrificially give to supports those who are need emotional support through counseling. Having a house or a roof over their head in, in food, in temporary housing, in caring for others that need employment. We are here to be able to pursue restoration from a church standpoint. But remember last week what John Egan said, our, one of our pastors, before he prayed. He also said, as we thought and prayed for Afghanistan, we want to be able to support you individually in the places that God has called you to. We want to partner together, as Paul says, to be able to do the work that God has called you to as well. And so what does that look like? We've done many different things. Whether it's sexual brokenness or other ministries that we want to do with tutoring, we want to support you, and we've done that as we've sent you out to be able to do the work that God has called you to, to partner together as a church. That's what it means for us to pursue the restoration of all things, as Paul says, all things, not just spiritual, but physical, emotional, social, and, of course, spiritual. This is the good work that God has called us to be a part of. And as we do that, ask yourselves, what does that look like for me to shine, to hold the word of life, to be able to run patiently, steadfastly, but also to be poured out like a drink offering, that through our sacrifice, through the costs that we give up, that we'd be able to live for Christ and to see restoration happen because of Jesus' work. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you and we thank you for the work that you are doing, that your kingdom of God is here at hand. And so, Lord, I pray that you would open up our eyes, Give us ears to be able to see the good work that you are calling us to. It could be our families. It could be our homes. It could be our neighborhood. It could be friendships at school. It could be our workplace. It could be even our beautiful creation. Whatever it is, Lord, I pray that you restore our hearts to be able to participate in the good work that you have done. Help us to do that, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.